My relationship is still broken. I have some really good news for you. It's okay. Your relationship may not be fixed tomorrow. It may require a whole lot of work to look at those wounds and those places that hurt and to find Christ's healing in them. It may require going back to Jesus daily over and over and over again. I can't do this. But you can. And you can give your all for those broken, imperfect relationships and they can still fall apart. That might happen. But the promise is this. Even when they do, he will never leave you. Even when you're pushed away from the people around you, the ones who should love you the most, he will still love you. And from his very side, will pour forth blood and water for you to make you whole, to make you new. And even in our brokenness, even in our imperfections, even when our relationships don't yet look the way we want them to, we can go and invite people, come and see this man who knows everything about me still loves me anyway. Come and see me. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. In this imperfect series today, we're looking at imperfect relationships. And I have to apologize, I'm not very good for this message. Because you see, my wife and I, we had one of those like perfect engagements. You know the, the like Hallmark movie channel engagements, right? Some strong independent woman decides she doesn't need a man and she leaves an unhealthy relationship with ambitions of like leaving the country and traveling the world and in swoops this strapping young man who sees her love at first sight. He's smitten right off the bat. And before Christmas, they're engaged, right? Every time, every Hallmark movie. And, and most of the good Hallmark movies, along the way, like he's so smitten in love with her and she wants nothing to do with him. But he wins her over eventually. That was our story, right? So we, we met in July and I asked her out in September. And when I first saw her, before I even knew who she was, my first thought was, that's my wife. That's not a good first thought when you meet a woman, guys. Trust me. I was like, that's my wife. And so I asked her out in September and she had no interest. Nope, no thanks, I'm good. And like a month later, she came back, are you still interested? Yes, I am. And two months later, we were engaged right before Christmas. And four months after that, we were married. It was like this beautiful love story. What could go wrong? We did some pre-marriage counseling before we got married, and uh, there's an assessment that uh, we did, the same assessment I use when I'm doing pre-marriage or marriage counseling, and uh, one of the questions on the assessment was, I believe there will be no conflict in our marriage, zero to five. And the pastor who did our wedding made fun of me, because I said, 
absolutely strongly agree there will be no conflict in our marriage. Now, in my brain, I, I knew there'd be problems, right? But I was thinking, like, all the conflict that arises, we'll figure it out pretty easily. There'll be nothing serious, long-term, that's really challenging for us to overcome. We'll get there. It'll be fine. I was totally wrong. See, we got married after nine months of knowing each other, and three months later, I made the brilliant decision, you know how we could save some money? Let's invite my best man to move into the basement. Yeah, I see you looking at your husbands. Guys, if you don't know why she's looking at you, don't do that, okay? So my best man moves in, and he loved to cook, and so he would cook and then leave the mess. And we enjoyed the food, but she did not enjoy the mess because I thought I'll get to it later, but later for me was not as soon as it should have been for her. And so she always felt the need to clean up not only after me, but also after him. Also, little did I know that there's some things that happened in my childhood and the way I was brought up that didn't work well in this marriage. See, I was raised in a household that loves sarcasm. So you guys, like sarcasm was my second language, maybe even my first. Before I could speak, I knew sarcasm. She did not. And unfortunately, in a relationship where one person's sarcastic and the other is not, there's a lot of hurt that happens there. A lot of misunderstanding that happens there. Not only this, I grew up in a household where if somebody got angry, the solution was to yell louder, faster. So whenever we got into an argument, I just thought I needed to be louder because then we would have the answer solved. It's not how she grew up. And pretty quickly, our perfect relationship was not so picture perfect. There's a reason why Hallmark movies never have a sequel. <laughs> you can't keep the perfection for long. There's going to come a time when things fall apart and it hurts. Today we're going to look at a woman in scripture whose life is filled with imperfect relationships, relationships that are really broken and really hurting, but a promise of God that speaks louder than that brokenness. If you want to follow along in your Bible or on an app, we're going to be in John chapter four. And I know you're looking like 45 verses. This sermon's going to take forever. Yeah, you're probably right. Now, don't worry, we're not going to read every verse. I'm going to give you the synopsis of a lot of this story. All right? Here's how it begins. Jesus is traveling, as he does a lot. And uh, it says this, it says, He had to pass through Samaria. Now, for you and I, 2,000 years removed, we're like, well, that's weird. But that means a lot. Jesus had to go through Samaria geographically from where he was to where he was going. Samaria would have been the simplest, most direct route. All right, well, just go north. I'll get there. It'll be okay. Just head one direction. But the problem is Jewish people hated Samaritans. And so most of them, especially if they were really good Jewish people, would go out of their way to go around Samaria to avoid it at all costs. But Jesus had to go through it. Perhaps this is you know, indicating to us that there's this reality. He knew something that we didn't. He had to go for who he was about to meet. In fact, just that happens in verse 6. He stops. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It's about the sixth hour or about noon. Anybody ever been to the desert at noon? 
I'd be wearied too. And he sits down next to this well. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, right off the bat, before we even get to know who this woman is, there's a really big problem between the relationship she expects to have and the one she has. See, Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And there's some good reason for this. If you've read the rest of the stuff that comes before earlier in the Bible, uh, what happens is the kingdom of Israel, the people of God, as they sin and rebel, they split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And these two kingdoms don't always like each other. In fact, they often really hate each other, even though they're both the people of God and should be unified. Their sinfulness causes them to have disdain for one another. And in Samaria, what they began to do in this kingdom of Israel, they said, we can't go down to Jerusalem to worship, so let's create our own altar. Let's create our own place where we can worship God here. Well, that's contrary to what his law said and what people thought he wanted. And so there, that caused a lot of animosity and bitterness. And not only did they worship God in places other than the temple in Jerusalem, they set up altars to other gods and they allowed a whole host of ideas. And so for the really good Jewish person, they looked at the Samaritans and said, they are filled with sin and idolatrous. We can have nothing to do with them. But then it gets worse. You see, when God came in his wrath upon both the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, when he sent them away into exile, there was a small remnant of people left behind in this land. And so to help oppress their culture, help put down their ideas of God, this pagan king decided, let me import a bunch of people from other parts of the world to intermarry with them. Let me bring them in so when they marry, their customs will mix. There are things that they don't like about each other. They'll be stuck with each other. And then they'll become like us. And they'll worship whatever God we tell them to worship. And in many cases, the Samaritans did just that. Now they're back in the land and the Jewish people are trying to become God's people again. Rebuild this nation they believe he's promised to them. Get things right, finally. But here are all these people that are intermarried and worshiping in the wrong place. Right off the bat, we see these imperfect relationships that are geopolitical. Have nothing to do with who you are, simply where you are and where you come from. Have you ever experienced those kind of imperfect relationships today? Right, like you're from Tennessee. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're a Yankee? Oof, that's rough. Just because of where you're from, immediately there's an assumption there's probably a difference between us. It gets even worse. Like, what if I say you're from Alabama? <laughs> Whew. Roll tide, right? Whew. These distances between us in relationship that have nothing to do with you or me. But they keep being withheld and upheld year after year after year after generation after generation. Hundreds of years later, there's this animosity between the two. And this woman is a little more perplexed because men didn't normally talk to women. And here's Jesus alone at the well with this woman talking to her. That doesn't make sense. It's not the 
expectation I had of what would happen here. And, and while it's not stated in this text, we can read a little further into it. How many of you, if you had to carry large jugs of water uh, for your like, cooking and your drinking and your bathing, how many of you would prefer to go at the hottest time of the day to get those? One of you. All right. We'll teach you, Tony. It'll be okay. <laughs> Most of us, in fact, even for them, commonly, uh, if they were to go and do this chore, they would do it early in the morning when it wasn't yet so hot when it wasn't so miserable. And, and for the women, it was kind of like the gossip hour, right? You go together and you're in this time and you're, you're pulling water out of the well and you can talk to each other and then you can walk back with each other and you do it early in the day. Or, or, but, in the evening. or late in the evening. But here's this woman at midday. And so while it's not explicitly stated, there's this implication that there's something about her that has not only separated her from Jews but from her very own community of Samaritans. There's something about her that leaves her outside of the community. Her relationships with others are imperfect and broken. The story continues in verse 9. Or, sorry, in verse 10. Jesus answered her. She says, how, how is it that you would talk to me? And Jesus answers her in verse 10. He says this, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she's a little confused. She's like, wait, you don't even have a pot. Like, how are you going to give me water from a well? You came completely unprepared. What do you mean you'd give me something? In verse 14, it goes on. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, look, you don't understand the water I'm giving is not this water you draw from a well. It's not water you drink and then a little bit later you're thirsty again. No, the water that I have to give is living water that will spring up a well of eternal life. Well, very literally speaking, anyone know what living water is? It's quite simple. Very literally speaking, living water is water that is moving, such as in a stream or a river, right? As opposed to stagnant water in a well that might fester and grow other things. Living water is moving, and moving water doesn't collect as much bacteria, so I'm told. Uh, it's supposedly healthier for you, right? So quite literally, he's like, look, I'm like the spring water, but more than that, Spiritually and figuratively throughout the Old Testament, living water is used to describe what comes down from the throne of God and nourishes all of life. It's described in Ezekiel as a river flowing from the throne and life is growing up all around this river. This river is nurturing everything that is, that there can be life. Jesus says to this woman who's supposed to be separated and disconnected from him and, and supposed to be disconnected from her community. He says, look, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I'd give you something that springs up eternal life inside of you. Now this woman, she pauses for a moment. She says, well, that would be kind of nice, right? Like if I was no longer thirsty, I would never have to come back to this well. I'd never have to deal with the shame of being alone at the time when I'm supposed to be with others. I'd never have to be here in the heat of the day when it's really tough and challenging. Whatever it is you have to offer, that sounds really good. I would like to have some. It goes on. 
clearly she's not quite seeing the point. Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. And Jesus in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. Could you imagine like just meeting a random stranger at a well and he starts talking to you. He's like, hey, go get your spouse. Oh, yeah, I'm wearing a ring. Maybe that's how he knows. Oh, how does he know this about me? This woman, she goes on, she says, uh, I have no husband. But then Jesus reveals the truth. He says, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Who you've said is true. Man. She's like, hey, look, I'm single, dude. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And you're currently with a man who's not your husband. We live in a culture where divorce is always an option. We live in a culture that says if you're just tired and you're no longer happy, if you no longer love the person, that's okay. Just pack up and move on. Try somebody new. It'll be all right. And so in our culture, divorce is acceptable as normal and, and even healthy. And, and I have to pause here to say that divorce is forgivable. And there's hope and healing after divorce. All right? There's a lot of it. But at the same time, Scripture says divorce isn't good. Here's this woman wanting what Jesus has, but not quite understanding who he is or what he's offering. He says, go and get your husband. Even though he knew she didn't have one, but had five. Her marriages had been strained to the max. I can't imagine getting married a second time because the amount of work I've had to put into this first one, right? I don't know that I have it in me to put it in a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth time. That's exhausting. Jesus says, I know you've had five husbands. And I imagine for this woman, the weight of those words, the shame and the guilt of all those memories of things that have gone wrong, of times she married in the hopes that this would be it, and then it wasn't. But there's something else here. You see, we can look at her and say, this woman is an adulterer. Why would she do this time and time again? Clearly there's something wrong with her. Clearly her sin is so great that she would do all these, these things she shouldn't do and drive all these men away. And yet there's also a reality here. Only men were allowed to give certificates of divorce. Which meant only men could be the ones to say, this is over, I'm done. Which meant five different times she had a man who committed to her for life and said, I will be here for everything. And five different times he used her and left her when it was time to move on for something else. So maybe it was her sin that caused the brokenness in these marriages. Or maybe it was his other people using her and leaving her for good. I don't need you anymore. I'm done with what I came for. She responds, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She shifts the subject back to the issue of worship. Should we worship in this place or like back in Jerusalem? What you're saying, Jesus, that's too heavy for me. I can't really get into that. This hurts a lot. Let's just go back to a subject I know I can talk about. And Jesus answers that it doesn't matter where you worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. And then she says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus answers, I who speak to you am he. She says, look, I know that there's all these things we don't know, all these struggles, we're facing all these dilemmas, but when God comes, when the Christ comes, he's going to tell us everything we need to know. It'll be okay. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm the guy you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been hoping for. I'm the one who can answer everything that's been left unanswered. Just then, his disciples came back. And I like how it's worded, right? Just then his disciples come back. Like of all the times they could come back with food, of all the moments they could interrupt the conversation. No, it's right then when he's like, hey, I'm the one you've been looking for. Boom, here they are. And they see him talking to a Samaritan woman. And they begin to think to themselves and wonder, what is he doing? That's not okay. He's not supposed to do that. She doesn't belong here he can't have that conversation. And so she goes away. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? If your marriage or your lack of marriage or your relationship with your boss or your community around you, if it looks anything like mine sometimes does, there's this really cool thing here. Look, she, she hears from Jesus, I'm the one you've been looking for, and she goes and she tells everybody. Who is it she's telling? The very community that she's been ostracized from. The very community that she's been an outsider in by her sin and her shame, by her past and the abuse of these men. The very community that left her to go to the well by herself at noon. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. How many of you want everybody in here to come and talk to a person who knows everything about you? <laughs> You're right. That laugh is appropriate. I don't want you guys to know everything about me. Because there's a lot of things about me that aren't good. There's a lot of things about my past that are painful, that I wish I could take back, that I wish I could change. She says, look, I know a guy who knows everything about me. Come and meet him. Could he be the one we've been looking for? The Christ? And while she's away, Jesus talks to his disciples. And they're a little confused. Hey, we brought you something to eat. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Then he gives this metaphor. He's like, look, imagine a harvest, right? In a harvest time, you look out at the field and you see the way the crop is growing. You say, in four months, there's going to be a harvest, right? There's, there's white on the field. It's beginning to turn colors. You know, it's time for a harvest. And the one who's harvesting reaps something they didn't sow. They reap something somebody else sowed. And it's really good. And he says this, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And then in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. See, as Jesus says to them, look, just like a field that is white for harvest, I imagine him looking down over the city, looking out and seeing this crowd of people in their white clothes coming to him. In their white garb, I imagine that his disciples are hearing him talking. Like, why is he talking about harvesting? 
Like, we, we don't do any of that work. We're just following you. We're fishermen, right? We're not farmers, Jesus. You've got your metaphors wrong. And yet there's this crowd of people who look kind of like that field that's coming to them. Look, you reap already what you did not labor. It says, many believed because of her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I love that story. Here's a woman who is in a a culture where her relationships are broken by where she lives. She's in a culture where her community, for whatever reason, either she isolated herself or they shunned her. For some reason, her past has caused her to no longer be welcome and included. She's an outsider. These imperfect, broken relationships, even personally her marriages that fell apart. None of these things mattered now. Because there was one who knew her and loved her who offered to her living water that she might have this eternal life in spite of all that she had done and all of where she'd been and all of those imperfect relationships. She goes and she tells people, come and see. And they do. And they too begin to believe. This man truly is who we've been hoping for and waiting for. There's a promise for you and I in here. This great promise is this, that you and I have a lot of really broken relationships. And God's not looking at our imperfect relationships and the ways we've screwed up or other people have wronged us. He's not looking at those things saying, clean it up and fix it first. No, but like this woman, he's coming to us saying, let me give you living water, life eternal. Let me give you something that nobody can steal from you. And then in turn, you have a great purpose. There's a harvest to be reaped. People who don't yet know. People who have been outside or even who've pushed you out. Who need to know, come and see this man. Earlier as I was talking about these verses, I was talking to somebody. I said, you know, one of the things I find really neat about this living water is this promise of what happens on the cross. See, if you know the story, there on the cross as he suffered and died, after he breathed his last to make sure that he was dead, they pierced him through with a spear. And it says, from that place where he was pierced, poured blood and water. From that place in his side came forth blood and water. He literally is flowing this living water for us. By his blood, we're made whole. And if you're here today going, this is really good and great, but my relationship is still broken, I have some really good news for you. It's okay. Your relationship may not be fixed tomorrow. It may require a whole lot of work to look at those wounds and those places that hurt and to find Christ's healing in them. It may require going back to Jesus daily over and over and over again. I can't do this. But you can. 
And you can give your all for those broken, imperfect relationships and they can still fall apart. That might happen. But the promise is this, even when they do, he will never leave you. Even when you're pushed away from the people around you, the ones who should love you the most, he will still love you. And from his very side will pour forth blood and water for you to make you whole and to make you new. And even in our brokenness, even in our imperfections, even when our relationships don't yet look the way we want them to, we can go and invite people, come and see this man who knows everything about me and still loves me anyway. Come and see. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, whether it's our marriage or our relationship with our, our spouse or our parents or our children or our neighbors or our bosses, God, we thank you that whatever relationships we have that are broken and imperfect, your grace is enough. Your blood covers a multitude of sins. We thank you that you today offer again living water that we might in you find hope and healing that we might find strength today to go to those who've hurt us. Say, come and see this man who knows everything. Come and see this one who is the Christ. Come and see this one who loves me in spite of all this pain. God, we pray today for those of us who are in relationships that are hurting. Would your blood pour out? Would you begin to bring healing? Would you begin to restore that which is broken and bring us into community with others? That through all of this, we can know you are good and you are God, and it will be okay. We thank you for our hope in you. Send us out on mission to invite those who are hurting to come and see. We pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect our offering at this time. Uh, real quick, before we collect an offering, we shared last week that there's a budget meeting tomorrow night, and I know a bunch of you like moaned, like, oh, budgets, right? Any, honestly, anyone? Nobody? Okay, well, thank you. That's exciting. We had a whole lot of people that said, we want to be there, and that's really cool. We want a lot of people there. Unfortunately, it's also in my house, which is very limited in seating. So every one of you can be there, even if you haven't yet RSVP'd. However, uh, there's not going to be seats available, and so you'll be standing, uh, which would be a bummer. So we decided since there's so many people interested, we're going to do it again in a couple weeks. We don't have the date nailed down. But if you want to come and know our philosophy and how we handle money, know our current financial situation and what we plan to do in the future, if you want to be involved in that discussion and you haven't yet RSVP'd, will you send me an email and let me know? Just pastoradam at thepointknocks.com. And we will put you on the list for the next time and we'll let you know right away as soon as we know this is when it's going to happen. And if you did RSVP, I really look forward to meeting with you tomorrow. We believe in this place that our church finances are 100% God's. And they're 100% His to use to connect the disconnected in this area. And so since you're part of this church body, we want you to be a part of how do we use that money well. But before that meeting, we are going to finish our worship today and we're going to collect an offering. If you came prepared to give today, you can do so in the popcorn buckets, I think... 
I can't see in the back, but I think they're waiting in the back to hand them out. Oh, maybe not. There's Leslie. Here she comes. Uh, you can give in the popcorn buckets if you have a physical cash or check. If you filled out that Connect card, we'd love to get it from you and pray with you uh, through the week. Those can go in the bucket as well. And if you prefer, like myself, to give electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com. However you choose to give, I want you to hear this first. Don't give because it gets you more of his love. That's not true. Give because he's loved you already exactly as you are. Thanks. If you've never taken FPU, I strongly recommend it. It's a really great class to learn how to manage your finances in a healthy way and how to get the most out of whatever God has given you. I love the class. So now two questions came in. And before I get to these, last week there was a question about what we believe about the Virgin Mary. And I said I'd answer it during the week. And with all that went on this week, it just, I kept pushing it back and pushing it back. And now it's Sunday and I haven't done that yet. So if that was your question, it's still coming. There will be a point leftovers this week. I have not forgotten your question. But so two questions came in today. Wait, so who was the strapping young man in your relationship? (laughs) You caught me. It's not exactly like a Hallmark movie, but I was trying. I was hopeful. Uh, Thanks for listening. So, uh, next, why not do the budget meeting before church like we've done in the past? It's a great question. We discussed it in detail. Perhaps we should do it before church here. Uh, The biggest reason we chose not to do it before church is because before church, that automatically excludes a lot of people who help set up and prepare um, for us each week. And so we didn't want to exclude those people. The second reason we chose not to do it before church is uh, who wants to talk numbers at nine in the morning? Not me. Uh, I'd much rather wait till the evening when I've had a little bit more time to wake up and enjoy the day. We thought it'd feel a lot better to do in a house where it's not like this formal thing, but more a conversation back and forth. Um, So that's why we chose to not do it on Sunday morning. But we were really excited by how many of you want to be there. And we're definitely doing it uh, very soon to make sure those of you who don't get to be here this first time can be there the next time. All right? Now, uh, there were no other questions that came in that I saw. So if I missed it, let me know and I'll make sure we respond again later this week. And definitely won't forget or push it back this week. Uh, but before you go, receive this blessing. Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.